<laughs> hey everybody, welcome back to the Paid Church Podcast. My name, thank God my name is Jason Rothman, and I am joined by, as always, by the great Chris Schaefer. Chris, I'm just glad to be me. We were talking trash about some other human beings before the show, and I'm glad my my name doesn't start with a J with another name. So you know what I'm saying, Chris? You know where I'm going there, Chris? Yeah. How's it going, Chris? You look great today. We're back on camera. Yes. Let's give that a little celebration. Yeah. Here. So for those of you who have filled out the Jason broke his cup, <laughs> for those of you that have filled out the comment form before on YouTube and said, I really miss you guys being able to see you, you know, your faces are more engaging. I know you're mainly talking to me and I appreciate, uh, you know, that you miss me and we're back. We have found a solution that works for both of us and we're here for audio listeners. Same as always, we will not change forever and always a podcast there we go so um glad to be back question mark i guess nothing's changed but anyway before we get started i want to say a big thanks to optio optio is our sponsor they are a great sponsor not only because they sponsor the show and help it to continue week after week after week but they helped me out this week as they always do specifically I talked about this last week. I got an email alert just today that told me, hey, there's a client that has a broken site link. And they sent me an email alerting me about that. Said, oh, there's an action item for you to do here, along with a few other action items. But that was one thing. You know, Jason, I'm sure you know, as any other manager out there knows, when you're going through checks, you check a lot of things. Checking the site links and making sure they're not broken is not the kind of thing you typically do very often. But with Optio... That's the kind of thing you can get an email alert form about those things. Takes a lot of the stress out of management. If you want to try a six-week extended trial, and I've been getting messages of people about how they really like the tool, you can try it out too. Optio.com slash PSP. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash PSP. O-P-T-E-O dot com slash PSP. Chat with them. Ask them for a special six-week trial and tell them Chris sent you from the Paid Search Podcast and they'll give it to you because I have that kind of pull. I am that kind of guy that can just say, done, and they'll do it. So thanks for them for sponsoring the show. Jason, back to you. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we are rising in the rankings these days. We're getting a lot of uh, push on iTunes and that push comes from you all leaving reviews, so we appreciate that. So today, I'm going to read a review from Great Britain, from Amy, five stars. The headline is, yes, and I don't think I dropped one at the top of the show, Chris, so uh, glad I got one in uh, right there. So Amy said, I've been in digital marketing for most of my life, but only really started focusing on paid search in the past two years. Having completed the Google certification program, I soon realized I would need to learn a lot more to get real results. Being an avid podcaster, I came across this amazing podcast last year and have listened to many episodes multiple times. I'm now doing so much better and look forward to every episode. Also, the fact that you guys managed to make a subject that's so data-heavy entertaining is incredible. Hats off to you from across the pond. You earned every freaking star. Amy, Amy, thank you for that review. A great review, great review, it Chris, is. and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, Chris, um, <clears throat> go ahead and make some oral sounds for me oral because we've gosh, got some news. That's, uh, don't even feel, feel disgusting. Okay. Thank you, Chris. And today's news apparently is not worth a full podcast episode because that's what Jason wanted to do, but uh, <laughs> Big Producer Pants over there said, like, what are we going to talk about the whole time? So we just moved it to the news segment, gave you guys a little bit behind the scenes, but the Google Ads Editor has been, uh, well, the Google Ads Editor has been created. Yeah. The Google AdWords Editor is being phased out, and there is a new Google Ads Editor available for download. So you just Google Google Ads Editor, and you'll find it. We'll link to it in the show notes. And Chris, they kind of changed the format of it a little bit in terms of the layout. But the biggest change, I think, is that you can now flip between multiple accounts and have multiple accounts open in the editor at the same time. Is is that the biggest change that you've seen? 
Well, I mean, I, there was always an option to open multiple windows and multiple... Multiple uh, windows. Yeah, multiple windows, multiple accounts. That was always there. The thing is, I don't necessarily see any features that were missing before, at least anything I've discovered um, that was really missing and they added. What I do like is that they've changed the layout. Um, They've changed some things that um, are easier to use. I do have, you know, Google can't update something without somebody complaining, and I'll be the first to complain. The The one thing I do not like is that they moved the editing tool. If you want to edit an ad, it used to be at the very bottom of the screen. So you could have a really mm-hmm. wide screen and be able to see your whole ad and then edit it down below. Now they move the editing mm-hmm. over to the right and you can't see the whole ad. Like, it, I mean, I have a very large monitor and I expand it all the way and I still can't see headline one, two, three, description one, two, and be able to edit it at the same time. So eh, I kind of miss where that placement was. I wish it was down at the bottom again. But overall, I th- you know, the color scheme is nice. It feels a lot more 2019 instead of a 90s type of, um, you know, plain Jane, black and white and gray. Dude, tool. bro, Chris, all you got to do sometimes, you all you got to, you know you how to get a hold of me, okay? Like... We talk on Skype. You've got my phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we FaceTime before bed. Like, you know how yeah, to get a hold of me. Yeah. And, like, I just went into the new Google Ads editor. And, yes, I'm, I've clicked on an ad. And then on the far right side, they've got the edit area that's kind of like a skinnier mm-hmm. column. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know you can highlight over that column edge, like kind of like a column in a Google Sheet or Excel, and expand it way to the left and make it bigger. I know it's what I, what I can't see is I want, if I have like six ads, I want to be able to see those ads on the left and be able to scroll over and, and see like, do all of these path ones, are they all the same? Be able to highlight them all. And if they're not, I want to be able to sort them Are all of the description line two. Okay, daddy. Same? Okay, daddy. Here's, okay. here's what you got to do. Tell me. So if you, there's a lot of columns in there. The number one thing you can do is you can make that edit area on the right a little skinnier instead of making it bigger. So the middle's big. Okay, you know that. You're a smart guy. uh Here's what you can do. There's a ton of columns. Chris, don't be the skeptical. Be open to a new idea. You train a lot of people. I really hope hope when you train people, they don't give you the skeptical look the whole time. Like, let me, let me. Give you my idea, and then you can be skeptical. Okay. So, Chris, what, you, what you've what you got to do here is there's a lot of columns that aren't necessary, like final mobile URL, whatever, yes. tracking template. I'm yes. not using those for a ton of ads. So right. what you can do is you can right-click on any of those column headers and then unclick the check marks, and then those will go away, and you'll be dealing with less columns. And then you can just be dealing with, like, a handful of columns and make the columns bigger. No, that should be big enough. Okay. Well, I um, I appreciate the suggestion, but uh, we're not there yet. No, that does not fix it. But uh, anyway, the, the good news is it's updated. Chris, write into the Paid Search podcast and ask me your question, and I'll I'll get to a full. Okay. Chris, we're going to solve this for you. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll or why don't you make why don't you make crappy ads with like ten characters, and then you can see the <laughs> then whole thing. You can see everything. That's a good idea too. Yeah, and that's your goal to see. I want to see every. I want to see what I'm putting out on Google. I'll do what Skaggers do. I'll just put the keyword in the headline one. And then, like, put Dude, the, how I'm, can you match? How can you match a search more yeah, than just using I mean, the keyword? It's super relevant. Oh my gosh, that's a green light. That's how you do it, Chris. No more irrelevant <laughs> stuff. Just the one just keyword of the search movers. in the ad. No description. Let's not even link to a website. Let's just have the word just there. That the that's going to work great. Super relevant. I win. Ten out of ten quality score. Skag for the win. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope. All right, Chris. So everyone can uh, download the new Google Ads editor, <laughs> play around with it, and uh, let us know what you guys think. So, Chris, a couple weeks ago, we did a Q and A, really popular. Yeah, the people liked it, and I guess we're coming back for round two. Yeah, because we have a backlog, and you enjoyed it, and we've got more. So I'm sorry if you sent your question in like in december or september of last year and you're just now hearing your question and now it's like so old you don't care anymore but there are other people that want answers to these questions so that's why we're going through them we didn't say it was fast but we said we will answer them so 
First question is from an old friend. Haven't heard from him in a while. Hope everything's okay. Rob from Brisbane, Australia. Question about moving keywords. And Jason, I have a special section Mm. that I would like for you to read because I do not do accents. For Jason? No, no. Doing a dead... That was the part that was literally like you don't. Re- <sighs> Chris, I listen to you before the show. It's just sometimes I don't give <laughs> give a give a blank. You know what I'm saying? For Jason, doing a dead set rip a job with your podcast, and if you ever get the chance to meet, gonna shout you a frothy or two. Hey, Rob, maybe put in then into the shoey. We'll do a shoey together, Rob. Wow, I don't even know what that means. That's Chris, you know what these Australians do? Google, when you get a chance when we're off the show, Google drinking from a shoe and then go to uh, Google Images and you'll just see a map of Australia. <laughs> like, that's what they're known for. They're, they're known, literally, they're known for like, okay, you're my mate. I'm your mate. Take off your shoe. I'm going to pour a Foster's in it and then I'm going to drink beer out of your shoe, mate. Wow. That's what they do. They drink from each other, each other's shoes. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Like, okay. like, that's what we're dealing I'll with. I'll have so. to look that, yeah. Anyway, Rob, yeah. I would not drink from your shoe, and I would not pour beer in my shoe. But anyway, you've got a question, and that's Chris sad. Is that fire sounds that like off. a friendly thing to do down there. But okay, so Rob asks, "What's the best way to move a keyword if it needs to be added to a different ad group?" Now, Rob, I know you didn't ask the question that particular way. I rewrote these in a condensed format, so I apologize if I did not get the messaging correct. But Jason, what's the best way to move a keyword if it needs to be added to a different ad group? Should he? pause that one or if it's a really good one should he move everything else out and keep that one there is there some type of advantage disadvantage like you know can the quality score be hurt uh how do you go about a situation like this moving a keyword to a different ad group the one situation because i don't skag number one most of my keywords are in the right ad group because there's not a ton of ad groups right right isn't that true chris most of the time they're in the right ad group The scenario where I find myself moving a keyword to a different ad group most often is when a keyword kind of like outlives or outperforms its current ad group. So if a keyword is getting a ton of traffic and I want to isolate it, or if a keyword, it fits into my ad group, if it, if we're just trying it out and we want to see how it does, but now that we see that it does really good, it kind of like deserves its own ad group. An example of this would be Um, office movers and commercial movers, I might start them in the same ad group. If commercial movers, that search starts getting a ton of traffic and starts getting a really good conversion rate, maybe I wanted to have ads that not just talk about office, but explicitly talk about commercial. I'll move it to its own ad group. How do I do that? Chris, I copy and paste the current ad group. I copy it. I paste it. In the original ad group that we pasted from, I pause that keyword. And in the new pasted ad group, I pause every other keyword except that keyword. And what I'm left with is the original ad group no longer has that keyword. And the new ad group has that keyword. And that's it. That's the only thing that's turned on in there. Um, That's the way I like to do it. I like to copy and paste ad groups. That's I'm known for copy and pasting. Like I like doing that because you get all your settings kept with you. You get all your bid adjustments kept with you, all your bids kept with, with you, and your ads are also already made. And you, if you want to edit them, you can. But my favorite thing is to just copy and paste. I love to copy and paste. And if you're moving into an existing ad group, copy the keyword and paste the keyword in there. Now, I love copy and paste. I know a lot of people ask this question, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, on behalf of them. Do you add a negative keyword in the place of where that was. So if it's, you know, so you add commercial as a negative for that ad group and then add negatives for the new commercial for uh, business. I mean, do you go to that level? Is it that important or, or not? I do because I can. And you know why I can, Chris? Because I don't have 5,000 ad groups. I've got like 10 of them. Yeah. And so it's very easy to go back to the other ad groups and go, oh, okay, I, now I made an explicitly a commercial ad group. I don't want commercial searches to show up anywhere else. So I can just go pop, 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 paste in commercial to the other ad groups as an ad group negative. And I can do it because I only have, say, 5 to 20 ad groups. I don't have 400 because it, I keep things manageable. So the answer is I can. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes I don't do it because it's not going to be a conflict. Yeah. Like if I've got office and commercial locked down, I don't think Google's going to be like, okay, you've got office moving company, broad match modified. Now we're going to show you on commercial moving company because office 
is similar to commercial, even though you have a plus sign on office. I don't think it's to that point yet, but um, I have had situations with like uh, accident lawyers where we have the car accident lawyer, accident lawyer ad group, and then we have the motorcycle accident lawyer ad group. Accident lawyer phrase match can trigger motorcycle accident lawyer searches. So I'll add motorcycle as a negative to the right. car accident accident lawyer ad group. So the difference you're talking about there is whenever the phrase match doesn't include the core term itself because it doesn't include motorcycle. So if we have business movers and commercial movers, those both contain the core terms and they're not going to get mixed up. Most of the It's going to be hard to it's yeah, yeah it's, it's not going to happen because to you have that defined per ad group. So for me in a situation that Jason talked about uh first is the fact where you have commercial in one and business in another. I don't add negative keywords and I just I do exactly what Jason does. I copy the ad group and pause everything else and leave the one that I want and then pause the old keyword. So um that's exactly the process that I do and most of the time I don't have a a negative keyword need because it is defined specifically in the keyword match types. Now, Chris, let me ask you a question because you mentioned this at the top of the question. Quality score. Oh, my quality score is going to change. If you've got a situation where you want to paste a keyword into either a new ad group and create an ad group for that keyword, or you just think it can go better into an existing ad group and you want to paste it over there. Does it go through your mind at all that, okay, I have a reason for wanting to move this keyword to a new ad group, but I'm going to hesitate or I may not do it because I'm worried about my quality score being reset because the keyword's going to be moved and I'm going to lose that data. Does that go through your mind? Because it goes through a lot of clients and listeners' minds. I hear that. Yeah. Um, I, I get more and more just relaxed about quality score because as we've talked about before, it's a number for Google made by Google and it's not for us. It's just a statistic. It's a, it's a metric that we get to look at, but it's not a number that defines any reasoning behind the way we do things other than just the structure and the format and the ad copy and things like that. Um, so no, I don't concern myself with quality score because it will reset. Um, the only thing I might be concerned about And this doesn't happen very often, but if I have like a 10 out of 10 keyword and I get amazing conversion rates, it's just killing it. It's doing really well. And I want it in its own campaign. What I will do is the exact opposite of what we described. I will pause everything else in that ad group and copy everything into a new one and keep that one there just for the integrity of what it seems to be. For some reason, it's working because I've had times where I'm like, oh, this is a great keyword. I'm going to pause it here and move it over here. And there's something magical that was happening. I don't know why. And I screw it up. So that's the only thing that I do. But that that's if you have a winner winning the quality score lottery and it's it's winning the conversion rate lottery. You know, I mean, it just it doesn't happen all the time. Agreed. Okay, Chris. So now uh, we want to thank Rob for his question. Let's do a shooey. Um, Now we have a question (laughs) from Brad back in the good old USA from Merced. Question about low search volume keywords. Does a low search volume keyword, a keyword tagged with the status low search volume, ever change into an eligible keyword or should you delete them right away? So... My stance, and Jason, I mean, if it's the same for you, then no need to restate. But basically what I what I do is if I build a campaign and there's low, uh, low search volume status on that keyword, I will change it as many ways that I, as I can to try and remove that low search volume status, but still keep the integrity of the keyword's meaning. So if I have like... Um, black women's nine women's size nine running shoes. I might remove black in the front of it because the core of the term is still size nine, and I'm getting you know limited quality or limited uh, search volume for that whole phrase. I might remove the first part of that to see if I can get a little more volume to be able to trigger searches for women's size nine running shoe. So that's the only time. Uh, and if if that doesn't work. I'll let it sit there for 30 days, a month, you know, maybe 60 days, but most of the time I delete it within the first month or don't delete it, but I'll pause it. And to answer your question, does it ever change? I have found that keywords that have 
low search volume, they do get impressions and they do get clicks and they will still maintain that low search volume status. I can't confirm because I haven't ever done a test. Maybe you know, Jason, but I've, I don't know if I've ever done a test to see something that started with low search volume, started getting clicks, and then changed off of low search volume. I'm not sure if it goes back and forth, but I can tell you for sure that low search volume keywords do get clicks and impressions. Absolutely. Yeah, I fact-checked this a little bit, and Google says in their own language uh, that it's a status given to a keyword with very little to no search history on Google, and it says the keyword will be inactive until its search traffic increases when the keyword can start triggering your ads to appear. So Google is saying, yes, it can go from low search volume to a regular status if more people start searching for it. And then interestingly, Chris, they say you have a couple options. You can remove the keyword and try to find other keywords, or they say you can choose to do nothing and wait for us to automatically check again in a week. If more people start searching for your keyword, we'll reactivate it. This option can be particularly helpful if you're advertising on a new brand term or product. So, Chris, how stupid are people? I've had people tell me that low search volume keywords hurt your account quality score and hurt your overall account performance. No, they don't. Google just said you can leave them there and it's not going to do anything. So... There's no problem with leaving them. It sounds like some of them, it sounds like their system checks weekly, are going to go from low search volume to eligible to low search volume, depending on if people search for it. So that's why we're probably getting traffic on some of them, Chris. And uh, one thing people will run into is sometimes they'll have a low search volume keyword. Their client or themselves will search for that keyword like an idiot and waste impressions and hurt their quality (laughs) score. That's a different story. But they'll go... Why are my ads not showing on this search when other people, and, and you'll go, well, it's a low search volume keyword. Not enough people are searching for it. Google's not going to show ads on it. And then they go, well, this other advertiser showing up on it. The answer to that, I think, Chris, is that other people usually are a lot looser than us with pure broad match mm-hmm. keywords, people that don't really know what they're doing. And you can tell the client or tell yourself like, yes, they're showing up on this obscure search that no one's searching for. Because they're doing this pure broad or very, very loose modified strategy. But you know what? At the end of the day, that means they're showing up on a ton of garbage as well. And we're doing better than them. So don't worry about them. Yep. Yep. Good point. All right. So we have Ryan from Noonan, Georgia. He says, should I use campaign level extensions or ad group level extensions? If I have duplicates, does it hurt anything or does it even matter? Jason, what do you think? Chris, check me if I'm wrong here, but if you if you have both campaign level site links and ad group level site links, the ad group level site links will override the campaign level site links. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Okay, and then campaign will override account. So whatever however deep you go, however deep is your love, that is how what Google will choose to show. So if you have account level site link extensions and campaign level they'll show the campaign if you have those two or campaign and ad group they'll show the ad group now the question is when to use ad group level extensions that would be when they make sense when you it's basically like an extended option for ad copy or something like that so let's say chris i've got like that motorcycle accident lawyer ad group and it's a little different than the car accident lawyer ad group if i want people to go to see like the experience page client testimonials page about our law firm page or whatever those site links can fit both of those ad groups car accident lawyer and motorcycle accident lawyer and there's no reason for me to do motorcycle accident lawyer specific site links for that ad group but if i've got motorcycle accident pages on my website more than just one service page like if i have a blog article about all the ways motorcycle accidents happen and how you can help protect yourself if i have a a testimonials page that was specifically about a motorcycle accident if i've got a a case history of, of look at our results page specifically about motorcycle and then i have the motorcycle service page i can use those as my motorcycle level site links because they're specifically about motorcycle. But if you don't have pages on your website that are specifically for that ad group and can't fit all the ad groups in your campaign, there's no reason to do ad group level site links. Is that how you feel about it, Chris? Like you got to have a reason to link to something different. Yep. Yep. And uh, I'll tell you most of the time for most people, ad group level site link extensions are not necessary. 
Bold statement. Yeah. Bold statement. I, I don't bold think bold statement, Chris. For for Can most of my clients, that? that's a bold statement. If 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 we were I agree. if we were asking, that's okay. a bold statement. <laughs> Making me nervous. I'm like, well, if I think, I'd say like seventy percent of my clients don't have uh, ad. <laughs> this is supposed to be a professional show, Chris. What are you doing? Stop clicking your glasses, no, no, bro. No, YouTubers, no. They just saw you drop your stupid cup. Okay, so here we go. Um, oh. Okay, Carlos. Carlos tienes pregunta. Uh, what? Una pregunta. That's, don't read it in Spanish. Carlos has a question. He's from Spain. Oviedo, Spain. And then apparently the question was also asked by Tim in Rochester, New York. Yes. So uh, really two places that are similar. So uh, they want to know about how Google handles fraudulent traffic and conversions do they refund costs how do you manage the issue oh chris do i really have to waste more time on this in my life right now i'll answer it i don't because you're because i'm answering are you not <laughs> sick of this question chris? it's hey that i respect your question carlos and tim thank you unlike jason who is now drinking from another cup how many cups do you have over there more than okay. you can see let's put it that way <laughs> yeah, i come i come prepared it like got six cups. That's I bet you. Are you like a clutter? Are you a clutterer? Kind of just like you have like sixteen coffee cups all over your desk. If we were to zoom out and look, no, I do meth and then clean all. Oh, that's what are right. you talking about, Chris? <laughs> all right. So the answer is uh, first, um, yes, they do refund the. Invalid clicks is the proper Google term. So they changed them. They don't call it fraudulent or anything like that. They call it invalid clicks. Now, they do refund these, and there are ways to track it. You can check the percentage of, uh, of clicks that are coming in that are uh, not true clicks or either you know accidentally clicked twice or something like that, or maybe there's some kind of thing going on with a competitor. You can check that percentage. So they do refund that, and you can track it. But honestly, it's a little confusing. It's hard to really manage it and, and see how it's happening. You can just you can just monitor uh, how it works. You don't really have a whole lot that you can do about it. Now, specifically, Carlos, you had asked about fraudulent conversions. Now, this is something that is beyond the reimbursement fraudulent I mean, conversion yeah so he, what he was saying in his email is that he got like in a short period of time just a ton of conversions coming through um and he had an issue with it so this is not something particularly that google's going to do anything about they'll go back to the click and work on blocking those clicks but conversions is something that you'd have to uh that's likely going to be bots or something like that, you'd have to have some type of uh, human verification, you know, anti-bot tool on your conversion, your form or whatever you're using to stop that from happening. So they won't, if you get a fraudulent conversion uh, and it doesn't track as a invalid click, then you're not going to get any refunds for that because you have, you have no verification. You have no way to prove that it was anything wrong if they don't have it in their system. So as far as how do you manage the issue, you know, basically Google does everything they can to stop it. It happens. And, um, I mean, they have a whole team of people. Jason and I have both received plenty of education about this. And in the end, for most of us, it's just the kind of thing that there is not anything particularly that you can do about it. You just have to, uh, cause there's nothing to do about it. There's no problem. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, it's not the issue that you should really be focusing on. As long as you are out there getting the right kind of clicks that you need, this kind of thing is not going to really be, uh, you know, a big issue, really. It's not a problem. Google, Google's on top of it. I encourage everybody to go to google.com slash ads slash ad traffic quality. That's one typed in word there. Google.com slash ads slash ad traffic quality. Chris, let's think through this logically. If, they, if this was a real problem, Google ads wouldn't work. People wouldn't advertise there. It's not a problem. They, they, they put so many resources into this. There's so much advanced stuff they do to, to protect against this that it's not a problem. Now, what you will see sometimes is right now someone can go to an ad and click 10 times in a row. Boom, 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 clicks. Sometimes in my high volume accounts, I do see. And a lot of the time it's, it's not fraud in the sense that no one's playing games or anything. Sometimes it's just stupid people that don't know how a phone or a computer works. And they're like, oh, I searched for this and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, sometimes in my high volume accounts, I do see weird situations where I'll have 
10 clicks, Chris, on one impression, mm-hmm. and I'll have like a 10,000 or 1,000 percent click to rate or whatever. But you know what happens like within 30 minutes? You refresh your console and you can watch those clicks go away in real time. It'll go from like 10 to 7 to 4 and then back down to 1. Now, that's the first line of defense is where the system catches it and multiple clicks and they just take them out and they just remove the data. Sometimes you do end up getting charged for it and you will see credits in your billing history. Like it will say invalid traffic and it'll put a credit in your billing history and you won't even know what happened if you weren't looking for it. So that's another thing they do every now and then, Chris, I get a situation where it's like I was advertising for specific kind of words and I saw one guy in one city had done multiple searches about this one topic and clicked on my ad a few times, like maybe four times. And it was frustrating to me as an advertiser because I knew it was just this one guy. And even though I paid for four clicks, it was like just one guy. That that situation is very, very rare though. And it to me, it's just, I have not seen a problem. Now, what I have seen, Chris, is uneducated, stupid people advertise on Google and not get their settings right. Mm. And then look at their history and go, oh, oh, Jason, help me. All this traffic's coming in from California and New York and California. And I'm in Oklahoma. And like, I'm like, well, um, that's not a problem I've run into. Nothing's going on. Google protects against this. It's very likely that you have your settings incorrect. No, no, I don't. My web design <laughs> guy made my account for me. He knows what he's doing. It's from California. And you just can't talk to these people, Chris. Like, like she didn't want Google Ads management. She wanted me to, like, tell her that she was getting attacked and I had a way to stop it. No, you weren't. You had a problem with your settings. You don't know what you're doing. Your idiot guy did a bunch of broad match keywords or something, and you're not getting the right traffic. But some people you just can't connect with, Chris. They just, they're not going to believe it. So, but it, But if you listen to the show... Please understand, it's not a problem. Google's doing so much to combat against it, and there's so many resources out there that they provide on how they do that. Go to that link I talked about and sleep easy. Question from Daniel in Switzerland. International question. Do you manage macro and micro conversions, like purchases and newsletter signups? Do you give more weight to one over the other? So he's wanting to know, you know, what do you do? about things like this uh do you jason do you even track newsletter signups is that something you're concerned with if you do how do you balance them Hmm. daniel 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 good question it's a good question chris i i think the answer is yes i do track macro conversions for some clients lead forms phone calls and I do track micro conversion, what he's called micro conversion. I would call less valuable conversions. Yeah. Time on site, you can track with a goal. Pages per visit, you can track with a goal. Maybe you can track bounce rate. Um, newsletter signups, clicks to the contact page, that kind of stuff. I do track both, Chris, but here's the kicker. Here's the big thing. I don't usually track both at the same time. It's usually a situation where like one client is able to track hard conversions, lead forms, phone calls. Okay, we call it end of day. Like we're tracking lead forms, we're tracking phone calls. That's what we're basing our performance on. That's what we're basing our management decisions on. Sometimes that's not doable because a client doesn't go to a thank you page and they don't have a web guy to set up the clicks on the button thing or they don't have a way to edit their site beyond Google Analytics that is on there, that kind of thing. In those situations, we usually try to come up with some kind of backup conversion to track. So if we can't track hard conversions like lead forms and phone calls, we'll track the Google Analytics traffic data conversions or goals. We'll track the newsletter signups if we can. So it's kind of like I don't usually do both at the same time, Chris. You can, but uh, most of the time we're tracking less valuable conversions because we can't track more valuable conversions. What about you? Oh, I think that's, that's very well said. Okay, so you're not going to take this advantage. I I stepped out there. You're not going to make me look bad by saying, oh, at Chris Schaefer PPC, we track all the conversions all the time. We track the hard (laughs) conversions, and we track when people click on the email links. We track the newsletter signups. We track when they go to the contact page, and we put a value on the conversion there of 0.3 because we know that every three times (laughs) someone clicks to the contact page, we're probably going to get a conversion. You're not going to make me look bad and say you go to that extent. No, absolutely not. No, I wouldn't. I mean, come on. If anything, I'm a practical manager, and when it comes down to it, tracking when someone signs up for a newsletter, whenever I know when they made a purchase, 
I, there's no weight to that. And in the end, if I know that they made a purchase, that's where I put my, my focus. Um, I don't put any weight on uh, newsletter signups or anything like that if they have a primary goal. I don't worry about the secondary. So, no, I completely agree. Chris, you, you and I, we work for the service companies primarily. We, like, we get people leads. That's what people hire us to do. Get them leads, fill out the lead form, get the phone to ring. And I do see a situation where someone's working in-house for a company that's spending a ton of money on digital marketing. And it's like you want to know every, where every last dollar is going and – you do track the leads, but you also want to just know, like, hey, how many newsletters are we getting? How many repeat visitors are we getting from this traffic source? So I think there's a place for it, but from the hardcore Google Ads management day-to-day getting people leads, primarily we're focused on the, the hard leads, the lead forms, the phone calls. Question from Cuba in Poland. Just kidding. Cuba in Rokla, Poland. Chris, I was just talking yesterday to someone from Poland about working together. So uh, we do a lot of international stuff. That's awesome. At RothmanPPC.com. Thank you. What do you do about... Chris, you are triggering me today. Questions about click fraud, questions about competitors. Like you are just (laughs) triggering me with these questions. All right. What do you do about competitors that seem to have endless amounts of money to spend, specifically for a campaign advertising a coding boot camp? How do you find your place between the big companies? Do you run display to let people know that your company even exists? I get to, you had to read it, but I have to answer. And so, Kuba, um, it's absolutely something I run into. I have plenty of clients that say, "Hey, I want to do a plumbing or you know something highly expensive, highly competitive, and I want to spend five hundred bucks." In the end. It's absolutely not something that I say, I have to get a certain amount of traffic. I have to make sure people know that we exist. I have to make sure we have a presence out there. I mean, it's I never decide to do something to combat a low budget to work with. I mean, that that's not what I'm, I'm there to do. What I'm there to do is get qualified traffic. So when it comes down to it, if you have a small budget and you have big budgets that you're competing with, there is always a place for you. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Do I want to spend money to be in first position maybe 12% of the time? Or am I okay trying to get maybe a 50 or 40% uh, impression share and show up in third position or something like that? So I have to make that decision. And so what I have to do is, um, you know, I pose that to the client. We make that decision together and we go after it. So I don't artificially go after networks that are not going to bring in qualified traffic, like the display network, assuming, and this is a situation where display network would be inappropriate. For example, the coding, I I don't think that would necessarily be a good industry because it's such a specific type of thing. So that's my, I mean, that's my idea when it comes down to it. I approach it and I scale it appropriately. If I have a small budget, I scale down maybe the days of the week that I show or the time of the day or my positioning, my click share percentage, as we now are going to be forced to use that term. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's my thoughts. Jason, you are um, egregiously just shaking your head as if i'm saying something wrong please i know i'm out of meth it's not you i'm out out of (laughs) meth that's why i'm twitching here chris when you go out to like the grocery store and you've got your family there and then you see like a family of like eight do you ever go like oh that's a bigger family they're gonna run out of bananas and bread now i'm not gonna be able to get milk because the bigger family has more people that they're gonna feed the store's gonna run out like that they're going to run out. Have you have you ever thought that? No. <laughs> Neither have I, Chris. Excellent. Chris, my, the my king point, of illustrations. Every, people... I love I love the king of illustrations. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Yeah. Very well said. Chris, there's there's a lot of ad inventory out there. People click on the top spot more than they click on the second spot. They click on the second spot more than they click on the third spot. But you know what, Chris? They still click on the third spot. They still click on the second spot. They still click on the third spot. They still click on the fourth spot. This whole The whole thing about worrying about your competitors, don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. All you can do is what you can control. And what you can control are your bids and your keywords that you show up on. Show up on quality searches. Control your search terms. 
Control your bids. I like manual. Call me old school. Call me about to be phased out by AI and homeless. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But as long as I'm employed, I still like using manual bids. You can control the situation. Get the most clicks possible for your budget. And you'll be fine. You don't have to worry about these competitors. I have not seen any situations, Chris, where someone can't spend a smaller budget because someone's spending a bigger budget and showing up higher more than them. To me, it's not about that. It's, it doesn't matter where you show up. It's about getting the most clicks possible for the budget. All right. So we've got two questions left. These get into a bit about uh, the some more in-depth stuff about AdWords and the business of AdWords and, and websites, click funnel stuff like that. So stick around. These should be pretty interesting. And we also, don't forget, we do have our Stump the Chump question coming up at the end and i have a great question for jason i'm pretty sure he's gonna get wrong Chris, i'm i'm sorry i, I want to stand here and apologize to you because i just thought about something that might be happening that i've never thought about before and i've never considered your potential medical issue like do you have some kind of like irritable bowel syndrome or some kind of stomach issue that kicks in after standing up for 40 minutes <laughs> because every show we do together, you get wildly uncomfortable yeah. at the 40 minute mark and you're like, Oh, Oh, we got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up. We still have this many minutes left. And it's like the listeners love it. Chris, the listeners want us to go for hours, but Chris always needs to cut it off at 40 minutes. And I didn't realize that that could be cut. Could be because you have some kind of like stomach it's, issue Jason, or something. It's because I'm a, you got to go somewhere I'm else. A very right busy now. man. And I see emails. I see people are calling my phone. I see stuff coming in, mm -hmm. and I need to get mm -hmm. to the okay. money making okay. part. You know, there's only so much time I can devote to giving my time away for free. So that you call it, you call it money making. I call it crumb gathering <laughs> that you're doing over there, Chris. Because you know, I I spend my time making those million dollar, uh -huh. million dollars, yes. multi million yes. dollars deals. Amazing. International now. Well, welcome to Poland. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. So question from <laughs> right, Walter right. in Medford, Oregon. He says that uh, he was listening and Chris had mentioned that he used to write out lots of details for each of his clients' reports, but he no longer does that. Uh, what, oh, he still does what, it for every client. <laughs> what just, does just ask him. reporting mean to you now? <laughs> Did the transition hurt You're when so moving bad. platforms or when you stopped writing notes? So I probably should have let you read that question, but I kind of didn't prep that correctly. So I'll just quickly answer it and then Jason add something here. But I, I definitely still do not write notes out on reports for clients that don't ask for it. So Walter, I sent out a, a, my first report to a brand new client this week. He got it. And he said, great report, looks awesome, you know, thanks for all the detail, but I didn't see a summary or notes. Did I miss out on that? That means I need to follow up and say, hey, this guy would like to see some detailed input. And so I provide that for him if he requests it. So honestly, when I stopped doing it, the only people that it hurt were people that actually opened up the email and looked at the report and engaged with it. So it was honestly a very small percentage of people. When it comes down to it, most people just ask the questions they have and they don't care about the report. If the report doesn't address their questions, then they'll email the question that they have. Uh, but in the end, you know, it, it doesn't matter and it did not necessarily hurt from transitioning uh, from adding notations and adding a summary to a report to not adding it. It only hit maybe... 10% of my clientele that were suddenly missing it and actually paid attention. But in the end, not many people do. They call if they have a question. They email if they have a question. They don't really rely on the report. They they hire you for consulting yeah, and management exactly. if they have exactly. those kind of questions. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, Chris, and I would just recommend uh, all the listeners out there that are interested in running a PPC business, growing a PPC business, we answer all these kind of things on the PageSearch Podcast Insider, which you can find at PageSearchPodcast.com. I'm just letting that sink in, Chris, that great podcast production I did. I know you're very happy with me. I had nothing to add on that question. I was going to say the same thing you did. So I just said I agree and I moved on. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm, I did that nice podcast thing for you, Chris. Was it nice? Thank you. Okay. So the last question comes from Chris in Kent in the United Kingdom. Uh, he listens weekly over a cup of tea. I like that. Do you use funnel websites, ClickFunnel or Instapages for any of your 
lead generation campaigns, do they work well? Hit me with some funnel lead page, landing page thoughts, Chris. Specifically for AdWords advertisers. Jason, you can, I don't, I keep hearing about click funnels and, you know, it's website development and lead gen on the website is not really something that I do any of. I don't touch it. So if you want to speak to that, go ahead. But I'll speak to the Instapages. Um, I don't build them, but I have people that work on them and do build them and they do, they do work. But the thing is, it's entirely dependent on the industry. Here's my rule of thumb. If the industry requires someone doing research and getting a feel for the company, understanding that they do more than just this one thing, call now, fill out this form and you'll get it. If it requires more than that, if it's more of an organic feel to the company where they need to kind of see the the owner's picture, they need to know that they're a big company, that they have lots of locations, or they provide a wealth of services beyond just this one thing, then a lot of times I like to point people to a website for that, specifically to the service or product page for that uh, thing. If it falls underneath an emergency type of service, something that's basically like, I need this now, please, I just need someone that can be here tomorrow, or I have a problem I need fixed. This is, you know, very typical uh, of home services and things like that. You know, I have a roofing thing or I have a plumbing thing. Uh, If it falls under that and they don't care if you do windows, they just want you to do this. They don't care if you fix cars, they just need the retire replaced. Then a landing page is great. So when it comes down to it, that's my usual approach. Um, Outside of that, I have no data to prove that one works better than the other. They're just different. I think that's a good answer. They're different, Chris. Um, And then you get some situations like junk removal where call-only ads work great, and they don't care about your funnel. They don't care about whether you have a website or landing page. They want to get you on the phone and schedule you to come out to their house to pick up your junk. So um, my thought on it, Chris, is... I haven't, I'm like, I'm sure they work well. Sometimes funnels work well. Sometimes landing pages work well. Sometimes websites work well. My one kind of beef, Chris, is I don't get down with the thought that AdWords does not work unless you have some kind of complimentary landing page or funnel system to go along with it. And talking to people out there, Chris, that line of thinking seems to have picked up that a lot of people get surprised when I tell them, no, we don't need a landing page. The website's going to work fine. The business site, that's what people are looking for. It's going to Google ads existed and work great before landing pages. So it'll still work great. People are like shocked to hear that. And I think it's because he, because there's just a thing out there about landing pages and funnels and all that. There's a lot of advertising on them, but I've got plenty of clients where we have a regular business website and it works great. But then I've got plenty of clients that use landing pages and that works great as well. So like you said, different strategies for different people. Um, And that wraps up. That concludes the show today. Well, not quite. We still have the quiz for Jason that I'm going to ask. But before we do that very quickly, I have to mention again, Optio. Optio for those AdWords managers, those business owners that want to get more done and get it done more effectively more quickly and know about things that are happening in their account when they're out having dinner at night and they find out, hey, well, the ad stopped running. Something's wrong with my uh, keyword or there's there's some kind of issue with my site link. You can get these alerts over email to remind you about timely issues that you need to know about. Check out optio.com slash PSP. Ask for a six-week trial they'll give it to you because you came from the Paid Search Podcast. That link is important because it tells them that you heard it here first. So go check them out, optio.com slash PSP. Tell them Jason sent you. All right, Chris, I've got a bad feeling about this trivia, the PST, the Patriots trivia. I've got a feeling that you're going to... you're going to hammer me today for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here we go. When contacting Google about a time zone change for your Google Ads account, which of the following situations would result in a successful request? A, you're an admin on the account and you want to change the time zone from Pacific to Eastern. B, you are a standard user on the account and you want to change the time zone from a Pacific to Eastern, and your currency setting is in Canadian. (laughs) You're so screwed. C, 
if an admin, you, you are an admin on the account, and you want to change the time zone from Eastern to Pacific, or D, you are an admin on the account, and you want to change the time zone from Eastern to Pacific, and your currency is U.S. dollars. <laughs> what is your answer, Jason? Wait, state the question again without the... You're, when you're contacting Google about a time zone change for your Google Ads account, which of the following solutions would result in a successful request? So essentially, which one would mean, okay, we can do that. We we made your time zone change. I don't accept the premise of the question. None of them. You can't change the time zone. That's my answer. Okay. Well, and here we go. I, I understand I'm answering with an option that was not on there, and I'm likely to be <laughs> so wrong. So A, B, C, D, Because e, you did not give it as an answer. E, none of the above. But I'm not going to accept, I'm not going to accept <laughs> that this is correct, and I will prove it after you say whatever stupid things you're about to say. So that's my answer. Okay. The answer is, in fact, A, and I have the link to prove it, and I will send it to you. Jason, uh, it is... Okay, so, so read read off A to me. Again. You are an admin on the account, and you want to change the time zone from Pacific to Eastern. So here's the thing about time zones. These are the requirements. You have to be an admin on the account. The email that you request it from has to be an admin on the account. And here's the thing that I didn't know that I decided to trick you with that made it sound so confusing. They will only change your time zone in the eastern direction. So if you are in California and you want to change it to New York time, that's okay. But if you are in New York and you want to change it over to the west into California time, no, that's not okay. They can only change it in an easterly direction. Very minute detail. <laughs> but again, I think I'm I think you're over What a three. stupid question. <laughs> No, seriously, what a stupid question, because the whole point of the PST was to do what a was to teach people stuff they don't know and stuff they could use like I did last. No, week that's useful. With the, that and, is, and I did with the click share column an and all this. Absolute... No, no one in the history of the world is ever going to or in the future is ever going to change their. You're just their mad. Time You're just mad because you got it wrong. You're <laughs> I'm done, dude. I'm done. If you want to do this show. And make a bunch of money for my work and then embarrass me? I'm done! I'm done! All right, so that's it, guys. Thanks for watching the podcast, listening to the podcast. My name is Chris, and I am the new host of the Bait Search Podcast. And you can catch me and me only next week. <laughs> <laughs>